Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to the Dear Prudence Show. Once again, and as always, I am your host, Mallory Ortberg, also known as Dear Prudence. With me in the studio this week is Jess Reynolds, who I'm very excited to introduce to all of you. But first, I want to read a letter that I got recently from a reader uh, after a recommendation I had made, I believe, on the podcast. Um, Here it goes. Dear Prudence, I'm a big fan, which is why I was somewhat concerned when you recommended the Straight Spouses Network to one of your letter writers last month. As someone who only recently came out to their partner as bisexual, I know what it's like to scour the internet for information about being in a mixed orientation relationship. I skimmed through the Straight Spouses Network's website and found a lot of the language that they used as not especially helpful and often sometimes biphobic and transphobic. Much of their website seems to promote the biphobic trope that any man with same-sex desires or relationships is simply gay and in denial. The tag for bisexuality brings up a total of three posts, two of which promote this myth, and the other which feels like a defensive post to guard it against accusations of biphobia. Perhaps the Straight Spouses Network is a great resource for straight spouses. Perhaps it's misguided in some of its fears, but I just wanted to bring this to your attention. I'm so glad that you did, uh, letter writer, and uh, that's such a helpful reminder to me because I will often get tapped um, to send resources somebody's way. Um, And while I'll usually do my best to at least take a look at what I am recommending, um, somebody else, uh, there's absolutely times that I'll just see like, oh, people have mentioned the Straight Spouses Network before. Uh, I have never been anyone's straight spouse. I don't have any direct experience. No one's ever said anything terrifying about them. Seems great. Um, And of course, I have not seen all of this stuff for myself. So it's also helpful just to take this with a grain of salt. Um, But it's just useful to know that that was your experience. Three posts on bisexuality is not uh, a ton and that's not great. Uh, Biphobia is not great. Um, So it's just helpful to know. I'm going to be able to do a little more research and figure out whether or not I'm going to need to recommend something else in the future if somebody writes to me about being in a mixed orientation marriage. Um, And it's just it's always good to know um, if something out there Uh, is simply the best known because it's sort of the first thing that pops up when somebody says, hey, what should a straight spouse do? Rather than, hey, here's this like really nuanced, helpful uh, organization that's kind of aware of all different aspects of like the LGBT community. Um, So thank you for bringing that to my attention. I'm going to do a little bit more reading, figure out a little bit more if there's something else that I would recommend to people in future. Uh, And now I'm just going to welcome Jess. I'm joined today by Jess Reynolds, a Sacramento-based writer and self-appointed mom friend. Their first book of poetry is forthcoming from Skinner House Books this spring. Jess, hello. Welcome. Hi, Mallory. It's great to be here. Thank you for being the first poet-slash-self-appointed mom friend on the show. You're welcome. It's an honor. That's such a, like, it's such a wonderful energy, and I know exactly what you mean. Like, I think almost everybody (laughs) has somebody who's like, oh, yeah, they're kind of the poet-slash-mom friend, even if they don't necessarily write poetry. Right. Everyone's got it's one. It's a vibe. Or should. It's they a good should. vibe. It's a good vibe, and I'm glad that you're bringing that uh, that energy here today. I'm delighted to be here. What is the most mom friend thing you have done, like, just off the top of your head? Um, in my freshman year of college, um, one of my high school friends, who I had not spoken to since I left for college, called me up out of the blue 
because he was having a minor crisis. And so I talked him through it on the phone while lugging my luggage downstairs to get in a car with someone I had never met to take me to the airport and continued to give him advice while awkwardly apologizing to my ride. That is a deep commitment to a certain performance of momness. Uh, I thought so. <laughs> that I really, really love. Just that kind of combination of <laughs> I am making new friends. I am self-sufficient. I am carrying this luggage and I will not leave you alone while you are suffering. Because um, that's sort of the mom friend, by the way, is just like it's an ideal. It's a performance of a certain type of momness. Rest assured, readers, we are not uh, listeners, rather. Um, we are not trying to, to claim that this is the only sort of uh, expression or manifestation of momness. There are many, many ways to be a mom or a mom friend. The mom friend is wonderful. I think the only mom friend characteristic I've ever had uh, is that I like to drive my friends places. Yes. Um, And in very few other ways am I the mom friend. I rely (laughs) on my mom friends um, in a way that is probably deeply problematic on my part. Everyone needs their mom friends. Everyone needs some mom friends. And my mom is a nice lady as well. Although she's not the mom friend. Like, my mother (laughs) is not the mom friend. Hi, mom, if you're listening. (laughs) So I'm really glad that you're going to be bringing that energy because I feel like our first letter writer really needs a mom friend. Yeah. This is a person in desperate need of a mom friend. I feel the same way. Good. Okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and get us started. I'll read our first letter and then you can just make mom faces as I read it. (laughs) Dear Prudence, three years ago, my boyfriend of seven years, Ivan, and I broke up. We'd had plans to marry, but stressful, budding careers drove a wedge between us. We were colleagues in the same field. There was jealousy that my career was advancing more rapidly at the expense of his own, and we split the sheets. Over these three years, we have maintained a long-distance friendship, in addition to serving as a resource of information at work and even providing each other with professional references for job applications. Both of our careers have skyrocketed. Both of us have dated other people. And both have endured extensive personal growth in these last three years. A year ago, I met Dave, who treats me kindly, has a soft heart, and cares immensely about others. He has many of the qualities that I desire in a mate. We enjoy a lot of the same hobbies. He has a successful career, good financial health, etc. We're good friends, but I would consider this relationship to be safe. Ten months in, he asked me to marry him. I agreed, and now the wedding is in three months. It's all happening very quickly. There's also a substantial age difference between us. Prudence, I am laying awake at night thinking about trying to make things work with Ivan. There are still smoldering mutual feelings that we have discussed off and on throughout our separation, but career conditions did not dictate our getting back together. Ivan has just accepted a promotion that will allow us the opportunity to be together again. This would obviously mean breaking up with Dave and calling off the wedding, which would devastate him, and I'm feeling immense guilt just having these thoughts. Additionally, that would mean taking a substantial step backwards in my career. Continuing on the existing path means to stay in a solid, albeit vanilla, relationship, continuing to ride this career updraft, and completely let go of Ivan. I have talked to Ivan about my willingness to break off this engagement, move and change jobs for the chance to make this work again. I could tell he was careful to remain neutral. He said he would consider it, but also encouraged me to continue down the path of career success. So I had like 50 different moments during this letter where I just had to stop and take like a deep stabilizing breath. But I think I'm just going to start by throwing out there that uh, I had to look up split the sheets. I also had never heard that before. Yeah. And because uh, I, I it, it was not clear to me, like I, I tried to use context clues. I remember SAT prep didn't work. <laughs> uh, it means like 
spl- essentially got divorced. Like we split our mutual okay. resources and said goodbye amicably. Right. I figured split the sheets had something to do with sex. I was way off. I think I was clearer that it just meant split it up. I thought it was like we had such great sex that we broke the sheets. You know what I mean? Like, you know, sometimes people were like, oh, we broke the bed. And I was like, I don't know, maybe you like ripped the sheets in half. That would be impressive. That was not what this letter writer meant. (laughs) There are a number of premises in this letter that I think maybe are not all of the same piece. I think you could split the sheets of some of these premises. I'm so sorry. (laughs) I'm so sorry. But like, you know, the sort of like, all right, I have two options. I can continue on my existing path, which means I stay in this relationship with a guy I do not care for. Um, Because let's be clear, this is not a guy she is enthusiastic about at all. No, not Um, at all. And continue to ride a career updraft and let go of Ivan. It's like, you can do two, but not three of those things. Like, I mean, spoiler alert, my advice is don't marry either of them. I think a letter writer is conflating the different decisions. Like, I do not think they want to marry Dave. No. Um, Does anyone think this letter writer wants to, like, show of hands, listeners, do any of you think this letter writer wants to marry Dave? No, you don't. Of of course course you don't. But that's not the same decision as, do I want to try again with Ivan? Right. Those are two, like, completely separate choices that we have, that the letter writer, I think, needs to address completely separately for themselves. Which, by the way, I am also totally against. What? Continuing uh, getting, with Ivan? Getting back together with Ivan. I think that is a terrible idea. And I'm curious to know if you think it is also terrible or or if you think it's only kind of bad. I think that it's hard to... It's definitely at least kind of bad. But it's hard to know how it would go without Dave in the picture. Yeah, I do not recommend getting back together with Ivan immediately after breaking up with Dave. You think the the first thing to do, which I totally agree with, is just break up with Dave. Like, regardless of whether Ivan is in the picture, you don't love Dave. You don't even do the usual, like, lie that people say when they write to me of, like, I love my partner, but... Right, um, there's... You don't even say that. Dave treats me kindly. That's as best as you've got. He has many qualities I desire in a mate. Like, Yikes. this is... This is you don't like this guy. Like, I'm sure you like him. But you don't want to marry him. You don't want to marry him at all. He has a career. Okay. A lot of people have a career. Good financial health. That's not really an expression. Um, I think you mean he has money, which is fine. <laughs> but just say what you mean. Uh, you guys like the same hobbies. Like, again, lots of people share. Ho- There's only so many hobbies you can have, you know, like none of this is like, I love him. Right. There's nothing about even your compatibility. Yeah, he's not objectionable. You guys both enjoy lacrosse or whatever. <laughs> Fine. Uh, break up with Dave. Like, break up with Dave. Your wedding is in three months. Fine. People call off weddings three months in advance all the time. Like, you are not locked into anything. People get divorced. People leave people at the altar. People call off engagements. It happens. Do it. You have a sufficient reason to do it. Even if Ivan died tomorrow, I would still not say that you should marry Dave. Because if you marry Dave, you're going to leave Dave in five years, maybe three, if not for Ivan, for a guy who's a lot like Ivan. The biggest clue for that for me was this would mean breaking up with Dave and calling off the wedding, which would devastate him. Like, it wouldn't bother you. I don't care at all, but I'll feel guilty and like I'm a jerk. And it's like, yeah, you're going to hurt him. You agreed to marry someone you don't love. That's hurtful. And I don't say that to make you feel terrible about yourself. I just say like, 
your two options with Dave are either preserve his feelings and marry him and stay married to him until you die, which I think will make you very unhappy for the rest of your life, uh, or make him sad now and then let him get over it and find someone who wants to marry him for reasons other than, like, we both enjoy canoes. I strongly agree. There is... Oh, letter writer, you cannot... You cannot marry Dave. Yeah, this is not solid, albeit vanilla. It's not solid if you don't love the guy. That's not solidity. That's just lying. That's safe, like you said. And not to say, by the way, that the only reasons a person can get married are like wild, sweeping, passionate, romantic love. I totally understand there are a lot of reasons people get married. And sometimes it's I am looking for a companion, somebody that I can trust and who treats me well. This person fits the bill and I'm comfortable with that. But it's very clear that you are not comfortable with that. Right. You You want something else. Um, But with Ivan, my friend, uh, you say that you guys broke up because of, uh, what was it, there was jealousy that my career was advancing more rapidly than his. Masterful use of the passive voice. Where was the jealousy coming from? Was it coming from you? Was it coming from, like, the sky? Or was it coming from Ivan? It was coming from (laughs) Ivan. Ivan was jealous. There wasn't jealousy. Ivan got jealous. The jealousy was produced by Ivan. Ivan made the jealousy. Not, like, from the sky like Ublek. Yeah, it's not a a natural resource. (laughs) You didn't, like, oh, we hit a jealousy vein, and now it's, like, overflowing the backyard. He got jealous of you. Not only did he get jealous of you... If you guys get back together right now, it sounds like it will be because you take uh, a step back in your career. My friend, that's what he wanted in the first place. Don't do that. That will, again, make you unhappy. If you get back together with a person who did not like that your career was doing better than his, and you get back with him on the condition that you take, like, a demotion then that's literally you're going back into the crappy version of your relationship that didn't work for you three years ago. And you're not, you're not, I don't think, letter writer, that this would end well for you. I can't say it wouldn't make you happy, but I don't think it would end well for you. Tell you what, if you enjoyed three years of a skyrocketing career and that's all you wanted, and now you want like a kind of dead-end career that you don't really care about but great sex with Ivan or whatever... If that's what you want, you can certainly make that choice. It's not a choice I would make, but you can do it. But um, it does not sound like you guys have addressed in any way the fact that when you were together, he did not like that your career was going well. And you don't really sound like you have any reasons to think it would be different now. So my question to you is, what has changed other than the fact that his career finally started to go well? It doesn't sound like he meaningfully thought through, like, why does it bother me that my partner's career is doing well? It's just that he got a better job and you're contemplating getting a worse one. So like the problem still exists. You're stepping back into a problem you had three years ago. Right. This dynamic has not changed. Yeah. So, you know, I get that smoldering mutual feelings are hard to let go of. Um, I get that it's easy to mistake independent individual success for we are different people now. But I don't think that that's the case. I think you just, you both did better apart. Like, literally, that was confirmation that your breakup was a good idea. Um, I strongly agree. You know, maybe go split the sheets with him one more time. You know, like, <laughs> break up with Dave, have, like, a wild weekend with Ivan. Um, but, and then block his number. <laughs> yeah, or just say, like, <laughs> that was it. Or say it first. Say, like, I don't want to get back together with you, but I'd sure enjoy, like, a three-day weekend somewhere together just going bananas on each other. 
don't say it like that. That's not sexy. Um, Probably also don't say splitting the sheets with you. Yeah, especially because I'm misusing that phrase. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, you are you are not. Call off the wedding. Yes. You will feel guilty, but you will feel less guilty than if you married someone you didn't love. Um, and then don't get back together with Ivan. It is a whole lot easier to call off a wedding than to divorce somebody. Yeah, it's cheaper, too. Uh, and, you know, like, enjoy your thriving career and find somebody who enjoys your hobbies and is in good financial health and has a kind heart and is not bothered by the fact that you have a good job. Like, those are very modest expectations at a partner. You will find someone, likely. It's likely that you will find someone who can meet all of those criteria. And from what you've said in your letter, letter writer, have not having a partner would be better than either of these men would be for you. Especially, like, I could tell he was careful to remain neutral. Like, that's really what you want to, like, jump back into. Like, a guy who's like, hey, I'm going to be carefully neutral here. <laughs> but, like, you should consider quitting your job, getting a worse job, and moving back in with me. Like... That's not that's not the like red hot romantic alternative to your safe stable relationship. This is just an old mess that you successfully extricated yourself from once. Don't backslide. Don't do it. <sighs> All right. Our second letter is um Oh, I, I don't do this too often, but just a heads up to our listeners. Our second letter is about somebody experiencing sexual assault within a relationship, and it contains a, a description of the assault itself. Um, so if that's just not something that you have the bandwidth for dealing with today, go ahead and skip it. Subject. Confused. Dear Prudence, I'm in a relationship of more than a year with an amazing guy. He's considerate, funny, and we get along incredibly well. However, he is very opinionated. While I can be determined, I'm afraid to hurt people's feelings and will try to answer what I think the person I'm speaking to wants to hear. A while ago, my boyfriend and I were watching a film and started kissing. He began touching me and grinding on me while I touched him back. We decided against doing anything further as we were in his living room and his roommate was downstairs. Toward the end of the film, we started kissing again. I then heard his roommate and broke away as I felt it was inappropriate. My boyfriend then straddled me on the sofa. When I tried to get up, he told me that he knew I wanted it and pressed his crotch toward my face. Since we had already started and I didn't want to let him down, I caved and gave him a blowjob. Now I feel awful. I did want to be with him, and we can sometimes be rough in bed, but it didn't feel right at that time. I was also uncomfortable by the way he told me he knew I wanted it. I know that I gave him mixed signals by reciprocating and then turning him down, but I know he would not have put up with this if the tables had been turned. We are both inexperienced when it comes to relationships, and I know he did not intend to be so aggressive. How can I approach this with him, and do you have any suggestions to what I could say if I'm not in the mood without hurting his feelings? This kills me. Um, letter writer, I just, I'm so glad that you wrote, um, and wanted to talk about this with someone. Um, I'm really sorry. Um, I can hear both the obvious hurt and pain in your letter, as well as the desire to, um, furnish a reason for why your boyfriend wouldn't do something to hurt you if he really understood. Um, and I get that desire because when somebody you love hurts you, 
You don't want to think they knew what they were doing and they did it anyways because they didn't care if they hurt me as long as they got what they wanted. You want to believe. They just didn't understand. I just failed to explain myself. I was unclear. So if I can just be clearer in the future, I know they won't hurt me again because I want to believe they don't want to hurt me. But he did hear you. And you know that. You know, you say yourself, um, I know he wouldn't have put up with this if the tables were turned. And I think that's such a profound moment of clarity in your letter. And I just encourage you to take a look at that. Like, you know, and and you know that for a reason. You know that not because you want it to be true or because you hope it's true, but because you know that you were, in fact, clear. You said, I don't want to go any further than what we're doing as long as your roommate is in the house. And then you tried to get up. That's clear. That's not ambiguous. That's not a mixed message. That's I'm okay with what we're doing. I don't want to take it further. And when he attempted to take it further, you got up. Clear as a bell. Absolutely. Clear as clear as day. Couldn't be clearer. And you know, I think, that he knows that too. Yeah. And so the conversation um, that you first need to just have with yourself uh, is is just one that's sad. It's it's not that I was not clear. Um, it's not that I need to finesse his hurt feelings more because I, I just need to tell you, regardless of your experience in relationships, part of being a loving, caring, compassionate adult who's in relationships with other people is if you do not get what you want in the moment, if you do not get what you want sexually from another person at the exact moment you desire it, um, that is okay. Uh, and you should not sulk until you get your way. You shouldn't ignore somebody else's no. Um, you shouldn't press when somebody tries to leave. Um, that it is okay for him as an adult to sometimes have hurt feelings. Like, it's okay to right. to feel rejected in the moment. And a good person knows that. And when they have that moment of, oh, gosh, that makes me feel kind of bad, their response is not, so I'm going to steamroll over you. Their response is just, oh, I'm having a feeling. I can pause, stop what I'm doing, feel my feeling, and talk about it. Absolutely. Um, so you're you're trying right now, and I get this, you're trying to find a way to make this kind of, not your fault, but figure out a way that you can stop this from ever happening again. Um, but the fault here was not in you being unclear. The fault was in your boyfriend. When you tried to get up and leave, he shoved his genitals in your face. And you both know, you say that you know, you would never do that to him. And you also know that if you had done it to him, he would not like it. He, he did to you something that he would not want to be done to him. And that's not okay. I, you know, letter writer, I hear you. I hear a lot of things in this letter that, yeah, like you said, Mallory, are trying to reason, right? Make it have some sort of reasoning, some sort of why. Um, you know, I see we had already started and I didn't want to let him down. Or I know that I gave him mixed signals, but you didn't. So. Yeah. So what now? Right. Uh, and sorry, one more thing, because yeah. I, I know we're so close to the what now, but I just want to address one other thing, which is, again, you're you're kind of trying to make um, to give yourself this punishment, this pushback you're afraid you might get from others, which is, well, I, I do want to be with him. And sometimes we're rough in bed, as if to say the fact that you generally speaking enjoy having sex with your boyfriend means on some level he has a right to expect or demand sex from you at any time. Um, and that's just not true. Like, of course, when you are partnered with someone um, that you enjoy sleeping with, 
it makes so much sense that like consent is something that you would often be willing to give under certain circumstances, but not others. Like it is perfectly reasonable to say, I enjoy having sex with my boyfriend. Sometimes I enjoy having rec sex. I don't like having sex when somebody else is in the house and might walk in on us in any moment. And that's a perfectly reasonable limit to have. Right. You are allowed your limits. Yeah. So so don't feel like, gosh, it's awfully confusing that he's like, well, sometimes you want to have sex with me when we're alone. So why is it different? Like, of course, it's different. You know? Right. I, there's there's nothing ambiguous here. There's nothing about your desires that was or your limits that was unclear or even it would be OK if you had odd boundaries. Like, I don't want to have sex with you when you're wearing purple socks. But yeah, you can have arbitrary limits. That's fine. Whatever you, you can have whatever limits you want. But this is not your fault for not saying them because you did. Yeah. So, you know. The conversation that that I would encourage you to have next, it sounds like you're already kind of aware it's going to be really hard for you because you say, you know, it's it's not that I'm a weak-willed person. It's not that I'm a shy or a sensitive person all the time, um, but I, I really don't like hurting people's feelings, uh, especially, I imagine, the feelings of somebody that I love and think is amazing. Um, and sometimes when there's conflict, I will default to saying in the moment what somebody else wants to hear. So. I hear you, and I hear that part of what you're saying is, is there any way I don't have to have this conversation with him? And I just, you know, I just want to tell you, like, I, I don't know you, you don't know me, there's, the choice is totally yours, like, but I sure encourage you to have this conversation with your boyfriend. Um, I think it would go a long way towards um, letting you know that you are a person of value and worth, um, and that when somebody harms you, when somebody knowingly negates your no, and takes what they want from you sexually, despite your attempt to leave, um, that you deserve not to be treated that way, um, that you deserve the, the, the right to expect basic respect and autonomy from your partner. Um, and so to say to your boyfriend, when we were watching a movie, when I told you I didn't want to do anything further, um, when I got up to leave and you shoved your crotch in my face and told me that you knew that I wanted it, you hurt me. You knew I didn't want it. You tried to tell me that I wanted something that you wanted, and you did not let me get up in order to take what you wanted sexually from me. Why did you do that? Like, not in the sense of give him a chance to explain himself, um, but just to name it, name what he did. Absolutely. I think there's a lot of, there will be a lot of value for you, letter writer, in naming it, in saying it out loud, and in bringing it to his attention. Not that he doesn't know, but telling him that you know that it wasn't okay. And, you know, I mean, just to be clear so that it is obvious, like, where my where I'm coming from, um, I encourage you to break up with him. I encourage you to end this relationship. I think that that would be good for you to be able to do. Um, but I also, you know, I, I, I don't want to, like, come down really hard on you because you're already coming down really hard on yourself. And I know that you love him. And it can be really, really hard to acknowledge that, like, the man I love sexually assaulted me. And Absolutely. he knew that he was doing it. And he just didn't care. Because I, I have to say, I think if you, it would be wonderful if you came to him with this and he said, you're absolutely right. And um, that's wrong. And I, you know, I need to, to uh, you know, contact a restorative justice program and really 
um, change the way that I approach sex and power and consent um, and do a lot of inner work and change my life. Um, and I harmed you in a way that I cannot take back. Um, and I am unspeakably sorry for that. And I, I will carry the weight of that action with me for the rest of my life. My guess is he will say something like, gosh, I'm sorry you felt that way. How was I to know? You were really unclear. You did end up giving me the blowjob because I successfully got what I wanted out of you. That is now evidence that I did not harm and assault you in order to get what I wanted, which I got to say, I cannot think of anything more horrifying than saying because I successfully sexually assaulted you, I couldn't have sexually assaulted you. I don't think that your boyfriend is a good person. I, I, I think there's a chance that he can um, learn and grow. I, I, I do feel like it's really important um, that we don't irredeemably and, and irrevocably throw people away when they commit acts of sexual violence. Um, I think it's important for those people to be um, given opportunities to change. But but that opportunity to change doesn't have to be with you. Yeah. You know, he, you call him considerate, but this was not a considerate act. Um, and you can, if you're not comfortable um, applying adjectives like inconsiderate, which is a very mild adjective, obviously, in this case, to him, then you can apply them to the act. You know, he did not make considerate, kind, amazing guy kind of choices. And whether or not he deserves a second chance, it does not have to be with you. Yeah. And just, you know, before we kind of wrap up, I just want to walk you through with the multiple opportunities in the moment that your boyfriend had to listen to you that he did not take. Just, just, just so you really get a sense of you're not imagining this. You were not, you know, you did not fail to be clear. Um, you guys started kissing and touching one another and you said, I'm okay with this, but I don't want to go further than this. And then later you kissed, which again was right within the confines of what you had said you were comfortable with. You were engaging in behavior. You had already said, I feel okay with this. This is fine. Uh, then you heard the roommate. You broke away. You physically ended the encounter. You, that's a very clear move, right? Somebody breaks away from you. What do you think? They want to continue or they want to stop? I think they want to stop. Yep. You made yourself very clear. He then straddled you. So it's not just that he tried to resume kissing. He got on top of you. Uh, he blocked your move. You know, he 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 made it that much harder for you to get get up, and very clearly took it a step further. Than yeah. You so he he with. immediately saw you say no physically, uh, and he escalated in a very clear way that was letting you know, don't try to say no again. And you did try anyways. You tried to get up, and then he shoved his crotch in your face and said, "I know you want this." That's your third no. Once was. I don't want to go any further while you're roommates. Two is, I broke away. Three is, I tried to give up. That's three, I tried to get up. That's three times. And every time, he either ignored your no or he escalated. That's, that's not a mixed signal. He knew that you were saying no and that's why he escalated. He did that on purpose. He was blocking your no. He didn't care. Um, and, and that's why I feel like it's really important for you um, to end this relationship. Um, and I wish you all the love and encouragement and support in so doing because you deserve somebody who, when you break away, says, you all right? Who, when you try to get up, lets you get up and does not block your body with his body to stop you from doing it because he feels like it is so important that he gets a blowjob that he doesn't care if it comes at the expense of your safety, 
your comfort, your own sexual desire, or your expressed and stated wishes. Like, that is not a trend. Like, if if he's willing to have sex uh, under those conditions, then the way that he wants to have sex is not okay. Yeah, Um, absolutely. Sorry, I just, like... And I'm so sorry this happened to you. Like, I hope you really hear that, that this was... It's okay that this hurts. This is not yep. your fault. And you yep, have... I understand the desire to say he couldn't have meant those things because he loves me. He both loved you and wanted to do those things to you because the way in which he loved you is aggressive and harmful. And that doesn't mean that he was a monster every day. That doesn't mean that everything he did, you know, for you that you enjoyed separately are now, you know... Tainted. A total lie. Um, but it, it does mean, you know, you say he didn't intend to be so aggressive. Yes, he did. He straddled you because he knew you were trying to get up. He shoved his crotch in your face because he knew you were trying to break away. He intended to be that aggressive because he wanted a blowjob and he didn't care how much he had to hurt you to get it. Um, so you approach it with him by calling it what it was, sexual assault. You tell him it's not okay. You tell him that you cannot be with him because he is willing to sexually assault the woman that he loves and that he needs to get help. Um, I encourage you at the, you know, uh, at the very least to call um, the National Sexual Assault Hotline um, to speak to a therapist about this, to talk to somebody who you can trust about this. Um, that's painful and that's awful and I'm so sorry. Um, and, and I do not encourage you to figure out um, how to stay with him and figure out nicer ways to say no. I don't think that that's going to answer the problem because the problem is that your boyfriend is willing to sexually assault you if you don't want to have sex and he does. Right. And the problem is not how you said no. The problem is that he ignored your no. Yeah. I feel like if I keep talking about this one, I'm just going to start saying very angry things about him and that will not be helpful to the the writer. But just know that I could not uh, support you more or feel with you more or or be sorrier about what he did. And um, And I'm going to throw one more thing in there. Please do. It's okay, like, there's a lot of shame around things like this, especially when you're feeling like it was somehow your fault or you gave him mixed signals or, you know, when you have all of those feelings. And it's great that you wrote in here and, you know, you can talk to your friends about this, people you trust. You can tell people that it happened. Like, you don't have to proclaim it from the rooftops, but, you know, you can talk to someone. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is not a secret that you have to keep on his behalf. Um, you have the right to talk about the way in which he harmed you as much as you need to with anyone in your life that you think can help. All right, let's keep it moving. All right. Uh, this next one, man, just just big family stuff, boundary stuff today. Oh, yeah. People, oh, people taking advantage of other people's uh, innate goodness. <laughs> not loving it. The subject is not your mom. Dear Prudence, I married a man with three children, ages 10 to 14, and for the most part, I hope to have a good rapport with them, but not become their primary parent. We usually have them every other weekend, on alternate holidays, and for a month during the summer, but their mother recently left the state to deal with her invalid parents for the last two months. The kids have been living with us since December, and I'm at the end of my rope. All the daily drudgery gets piled up at my door, and my husband and stepkids act surprised when I don't automatically act on it. Forgotten homework, dirty laundry, dinner not being made, all of them are incapable of doing any of it. I work long, hard hours, and I'm tired of coming back to chaos. Last week, I had to work on a major project from 5 a.m. to 7 p.m. every day. 
My husband got the kids pizza three days in a row, only for my stepkids to tell me how tired they were of it. So I stayed up and made some frozen casseroles. Or I stayed up and made some casseroles to freeze. I told my oldest stepdaughter that she would have to heat it up for her siblings around five, since my husband and I were both working late. I left instructions on the fridge. I came home to an angry husband and hungry kids. My stepdaughter forgot, and my husband's response wasn't to scold his daughter, but scold me. I should have texted them all a reminder. I told him I had to get back to work, and I turned around and left the house. I checked into a hotel and stayed there overnight. My stepkids are genuinely good, and I understand that they miss their mom, but right now I get treated like the hired help. My husband and I are fighting. He tells me that I have to step up as a stepmother, and I tell him I can't because he won't back me up. He wants to be their friend more than their parent. We don't know when their mother is getting back for good, and this situation is stressing me out to the point that I'm making mistakes at work. I am honestly thinking of checking into a hotel permanently until she comes back. I don't know if I will have a marriage to come back to. Can you help me find another way? Wow. Letter writer, I just need you to know that when I got to the line about how you <laughs> said you had to go back to work and you went to a hotel, Jess just did a silent fist pump, and so did I in my heart. I'm so proud of you. Well done. Just walking out of that situation where clearly no, you were not being listened to. I th- you were not being treated respectfully. I think I know. I'm going to go ahead and speculate that the reason this guy's last marriage ended is because his wife ended, left it. Uh, and I'm willing to bet I, I have a couple theories as to why she left his ass. I probably have the same theories. This guy sucks. This guy <sighs> sucks. I'm sorry. I want to give more nuanced advice, but this guy sucks. Letter writer. Your husband scolded you. He sucks! That's not something you do to your spouse. You made a casserole. You told the kids when to put it in the oven. The girl is 14 years old. You left instructions on the fridge. You came home and your husband said you should have sent a text too because your husband sucks. (laughs) Like, come on. Your husband apparently came home, saw that the casserole was not in the oven... And rather than press the button to turn the oven on, because that's all, like, that's all ovens are now, are buttons. Like, he did not have to, like, personally get, like, a dog to run on a wheel to start turning a spit over a fire he had to build with his bare hands. <laughs> like, he he decided, no, 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 I'm not going to press the button and start cooking the casserole myself now and then to say to my 14-year-old, hey, like, instructions were on the fridge, look more next time. Uh, he was like, oh, I'm just going to sit here angrily and wait for my woman to get home. I I am floored. He sucks. (sighs) Okay. He was angry at you for not sending a reminder. Uh, He he scolded you. He's telling you to step up as a stepmother. Like, this is... And just, like, everything's your job for his kids, dinner, their laundry, their forgotten homework. Like, he's not asking you to be a step-parent. He's asking you to be their mother. Like, these are his kids. And and I want to point out that these kids are between 10 and 14. Like, if they were younger, then there is just automatically more work that they cannot do themselves. Right. 10-year-olds can do laundry. Certainly the 14-year-old can. Yeah. They They can, you know, heat up a casserole. They can remember their own homework. Yeah, like that. Yeah, I I don't want to be as hard on the kids as I want to be on the dad. Absolutely Um, not. But I'm saying like... 
there's not the same amount of parental energy that needs to go into it. Like, your husband can do the majority of this. Yeah. And, and you know, just uh, again, especially given that these kids already have a mother and, and, you know, your husband and his ex have been co-parenting them for a while, like, he should not, like, just the expectation that, like, as his wife, food and clothes are just your purview in addition to being his wife is just some bullshit. And uh, I'm so glad you checked into a hotel. Um, and I think you should check back into a hotel. And if you think that the act of checking into a hotel and no longer doing your husband's kids' laundry all the time and texting them more about casseroles is going to be something that ends your marriage, then I'm just going to go ahead and say your marriage needs to end. I don't think you should say I'm divorcing you, but I think you should say this is not working. Your expectations of me are absolutely outrageous. I am no longer taking responsibility for your kids' laundry or homework or food uh, because you just threw that all on my doorstep and did nothing to help and then scolded me like a child when I failed to be, like, a wife to you and a full-time parent to your kids. Right. And, like, abstaining from this responsibility is not going to harm these children, right? Like, your husband got them pizza. Yeah. They'll be fine. Like, okay, they forget their homework once or... Then they'll get in trouble at school. Right. They have a lot of dirty clothes. They'll either wear something dirty or learn to do the laundry. Like, if you leave, there's nobody who's going to get, like, harmed. Right. There is – you don't have to worry about harming the children if you back out of all this responsibility, which is not yours. No. You you worked from 5 a.m. to 7 p.m. You made a casserole, and then you got yelled at for not texting about the casserole. This situation is so beyond the point of reasonable compromise. This – he, your husband makes is not a nice guy who is trying his best. Let's put it that way. This makes me tired just reading it. Yeah. Go to that hotel right this instant. Um, I get that your, you know, your husband's ex is out of town dealing with invalid parents. I totally understand that you are not looking to create more chaos. But um, I don't see any other way that you can communicate to your partner that this behavior is totally beyond the pale. Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, maybe you leave... You wait out another couple of weeks, uh, his ex-wife comes back, you two go to couples counseling and, you know, you set some limits with him and say like, hey, guy, either meet these, you know, uh, really, really reasonable boundaries or we cannot be partners. Maybe he steps up. That'd be fabulous. And if he doesn't, frankly, you are so much better off without him. Absolutely. You know, you have them every week, every other weekend and alternative holidays. So like, and yeah, okay, a month during the summer, but like, it's not surprising that you haven't seen this behavior from him before because he uh, summertime is a very different time to have children than during the school year in terms of responsibilities. So, right. like, it, I don't want you to feel like you should have expected this because this is outrageous Well, behavior. it doesn't sound brand new. Like, no. it just mostly sounds like this is the longest they've ever been right. here. And I used to be able to just, like, grit my teeth and get through it on the weekend, which, you know, again, not that that's, like, oh, you should have, like, pushed back harder sooner. But I do understand that sense of, like, oh, right. I let this slide for a little while, but now it's at a point where I cannot let it slide for right. another minute. Um, but, yeah, absolutely. Like, if your kids forget, if the kids forget the homework, if the laundry's dirty, if they don't have dinner and you're coming home at 7 p.m. after, like, a 14-hour workday, like, that's not your problem. Right. This guy sucks. I know I've said that, like, 90 times. So I just had to say it again. <laughs> like, my spirit needed to say it. Um, and... and I- it's really nice to hear you, like, say, you know, my stepkids are genuinely good and I understand they miss their mom because, like, you know, they are kids. Yeah. Like, this is definitely a your husband problem. 
Yeah. But, uh, you know, throw a copy of The Feminine Mystique down on the kitchen table and then just like boogie. You know what I mean? Like this is some (laughs) old school feminist 101 stuff of just like, hey, just because I'm the woman you married doesn't mean I own all the dishes in the house. They're not like my purview, my good man. (laughs) Um, Yeah, he uh, this is ridiculous. Go back to the hotel. Stay out of there. Uh, if he is willing to, you know, apologize profusely for the ways in which he has taken advantage of you um, and is willing to work with you in the future to make sure that you are not just like the one responsible for his children. I don't know. Maybe you can make it work out. I sure hope you don't. I sure hope you guys get divorced and you meet someone else who doesn't suck. Or at the very least, you just get to come home at the end of the day and feed yourself. It's a nice Rather feeling. than this jerk. Yeah. Who's like, oh, a casserole in the freezer. How could I turn that into food? This is the most difficult, like, riddle anyone's ever faced. Not like there are instructions on the fridge or anything. Press the damn button, my guy! No, I hate this man. I have set my face and my heart against him in enmity. If I ever meet him on the road, I will challenge him to a duel. I'll just know it's him. Somehow, I'll just know. I don't know his name or what he looks like, but I'll just have this feeling in my heart, and I will fight him. So let's move on to the next question. <laughs> now that I've pledged to fight a letter writer's boyfriend, husband. Oh, I just called him a boyfriend because I'm so bad. I'm like, oh, you don't even deserve to be married to her. You're <laughs> acting like a, oh, you're just you, demoted. I don't feel like this is the first time you've pledged to fight someone. I try not to fight people in every episode because I don't think that's especially useful. But some things are just so bad. They right. That's be, egregious behavior. Yeah. No, I, I want to be reasonable, but this is. I, I'm going to be reasonable now. This next letter okay. is reasonable. It's a reasonable person asking a reasonable question. I'm very excited about it. Uh, the subject is job interview ethics. Dear Prudence, I'm in the process of interviewing for jobs in my current city of residence as well as back in my home state. I want to know what my ethical responsibilities are in terms of what I do after I'm flown out for an interview. If company A flies me to Denver for an on-site interview, but I have extra time while I'm there... Am I allowed to stop by and have a meeting with Company B, with whom I am also discussing future employment? That one feels like a no to me, but I'm honestly not sure. Can I use the rental car provided by Company A to drive to a very different part of Denver to visit a friend while I'm there? Since I know people in the area and would enjoy a little spare time, is it unethical to request a flight schedule that allows for some fun time, too? I love you, letter writer. This is such a sweet, wholesome question. It's definitely, like, standard to not, like... Always, but like you can definitely ask for a different flight schedule and just pay your own way on your personal days. Yeah, that's that's a thing people do. That's absolutely not unreasonable. And and I would say, too, absolutely, you know, the one that you're leaning towards no on, which is just like as long as I am in town, can I go to a different company and also talk to them? Absolutely, you can. Like, right. As long as it's not like taking away time from the company who's flying you out there, which presumably it wouldn't be because you're committed to this interview slot. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Like it, it makes total sense. You are, you know, advocating for yourself because you don't you have not yet been offered a job. You are actively job hunting. Um, if you are in town, it it makes total sense that you would want to visit the second company. It's not like dating where like you've agreed to be exclusive with company A um, and you're cheating on them. Like, no, uh, people would do something like that all the time. You know, don't schedule them for like within an hour of each other. Give yourself plenty of time. But for sure. Yes, you you are allowed to cultivate multiple options. Yeah. And especially in terms of like seeing your friend or having, you know, a little spare time. If you're um, relocating for work, it, it makes a lot of sense, even from the company's perspective, for them to want you to 
um, like the area, especially if you're going to move to work with them. So it's if any part of you is feeling that kind of capitalist guilt, don't. Yeah. (laughs) The only thing I would say about the flight schedule is, you know, do a gut check with somebody else in your kind of industry Mm -hmm. because sometimes it can, you know, some industries are buttoned up enough that that would be like, it's one thing if you're like, hey, it would be more convenient for me to take an evening flight out um, as opposed to like, hey, can you book me a ticket back five days later so that I can like just, you know, have a good vacation while I'm out here. You know, the first is pretty reasonable. The second one would maybe not make you look great. Right. But adding an extra day or two, if you especially if you frame it as because I would like to get to know the area. Yeah. You're fine. Yeah, exactly. Not even get to know the area. Like you're or from re- Colorado. You're from Denver. Reacquaint um, yourself. Whatever. If they're saying like, hey, what works for you? It kind of depends on the level, right? If right. they're like, we want to fly you out for this day to interview, it would be weird to say, hey, can you actually make my return flight back three days later? But if they're like, hey, what's a, you know, a window that works for you? Absolutely. If you have a preference or something that's convenient, you know, you could say the thing that would work best for me is to fly out Thursday afternoon and return, you know, Saturday evening Mm -hmm. and let them do it. Uh, When it comes to using the rental car that they're paying for to drive to a different part of Denver to visit a friend, I imagine that you're going to have to account for whatever mileage that you drive while you're there. Uh, and the company is probably willing to pay, like, up to a reason. They're not expecting that you're going to go, like, sit in a hotel room and wait in stasis, come outside for the job interview, and then go back in. Um, but they also probably don't expect you to, like, you know, drive to Boulder um, and, like, go to a party um, right. on their dime. So I would say, you know, if you have any questions about the specifics of how to use the car that they have rented on your behalf while you are in town, um, you know, Check in with friends of yours who have maybe some more experience, who are a little more advanced in whatever your chosen field is. But definitely in your field because yeah, standards in your field, are going to vary between field fields. You know, certainly, uh, you know, if they're providing you with a rental car, ask about the rental agreement. Like just, you know, there may be like, oh, hey, here's the policy. Like we pay for so many miles and then out of that, like you would, you know, if there was more than that, you would pay for it. Um, right. You know, totally reasonable to ask about that. Companies are used to these kinds of questions. Like you don't have to be afraid to shoot your contact and email. Right. Especially, again, like, it does not sound like you are looking to, like, how much can I soak these dummies for so that I can get a free trip to Denver? You're you're genuinely just kind of curious about, um, like, what's appropriate and what's not. So I, I think that that is, like, a fair question to, to bring up. Again, not like, hey, can I have permission to go visit my friend, which would kind of make you look like you were thinking of yourself as a as a child or a juvenile person. Right. Um, but just to learn a little bit more about, you know, what's the rental agreement. Um, if you are in town kind of trying to get a feel, getting a feel for whether or not you could move there, it's totally reasonable that you would maybe um, visit people you know, um, saw the sites, drove around town for a little while. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing you've described, like, raised our eyebrows in here. None, none of this of us, is egregious. Yeah, none of us were like, wow, that's really off base that you feel that way. So, you know, good luck. Good luck with all the job interviews. I hope hope you get a great job. job. I hope you do too. And by the way, if you ever get married and have three kids and then you get divorced and then you marry somebody else and your new partner makes a casserole and puts it in the freezer and leaves notes on the fridge and you come home and your eldest kid forgot to put it in the oven, don't text your new partner scolding them for not sending a text. Just put the casserole in the oven yourself. You're a good person. I'm sure you would never do that. I just thought as long as we were giving you advice. I should throw that out there. That's it's a good like advice for all situations. Thank you. All right. This last letter, I'm going to let you read. I love the title so much. I find it deeply charming. I mean, not the concept, but just the way they wrote it. 
The subject of this letter is Two Brides, One Wedding, Zero Help from Family. Dear Prudence, My fiancé and I got engaged this fall. We are a same-sex couple, so we're both brides. As tradition has it, the bride's family pays for the wedding. We have both been very independent our whole lives and have rarely, if ever, asked for financial help. My fiancé's family is better off than my own. In the past, they paid for her older sister's reception and also helped the sister with some expenses for her first home. Although we've been engaged for several months and have been open about planning a small wedding to save ourselves some expense, no one has offered us a dime. I'm of the school of thought that we should ask. I don't want to resent either of our families for not helping if we haven't at least asked for the assistance. I also think it's appropriate to say, we know you contributed some money to sister's wedding, so we were wondering if you'd be willing to do the same for us. My fiancé is of the thought that if they wanted to help, they would offer on their own. She's hesitant to ask for the help, anticipating a no, and she's also hesitant to tell her parents she knows they've given her sister several thousand dollars. What is the right way to approach this? We're financially prepared to do this on our own, like we always have, but having a little help from either of our families would certainly help relieve some stress. I love... A lot of times advice columnists will talk about the difference between sort of ask culture versus guest I wrote culture. that down, yes. <laughs> I've never seen such a perfect example of like, literally my fiancé thinks you should not ask things. <laughs> yeah. This, this is... is the example you would put in the textbook illustrating this dichotomy. Absolutely. Wow. This is so abundantly uh, binary. Yeah, yeah, which is kind of great. We don't always get such binary problems. And you have such wonderful, nice-looking notes. I, I, I oh. want so much to know what you think. So um, so this is definitely, like, a just different approach to how you ask or don't ask about things you want. Um, I, whatever you do, because it's your fiancé's family, y'all have got to be on the same page. Like, you cannot make this ask without being on the same page. I don't think you were anticipating doing that, but, like, I think that's a first kind of step. Yeah, I think it's always kind of good to know, like, ultimately whose decision is this. Your fiancé. And it's your fiancé's because it's her family. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I absolutely have the conversation, argue for your point of view, listen to hers. But if ultimately she comes down on just, like, I'm not going to ask my family, you I don't encourage you to call her parents and say, "Do not do." Hey, that. she doesn't want to, but I sure do. Um, no, please do not do that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, couple of things. One, congratulations on getting married. That's great. Two, you're not going to get super far with me specifically by going with, as tradition has it, the bride's family pays for the wedding, and we're both brides. Like, there's a lot of wedding traditions, some of which I think make more sense than others. <laughs> It's not really a reason for you to get money that sometimes other people's families have done it in that way. Like, I get it that it's tradition, but I don't think that's an argument so much as just like, yes, traditionally this has happened. Right. Although I think it's more presented here for because we're both brides, this does not help us decide right. who we're asking. Well, and, and I totally get this. There's that kind of sense, especially when like queer people get married, that kind of ambiguity a lot of us feel around like, oh, is it even like... 
is marriage even the best goal here? Like, are we joining an institution or are we subverting it? And like, and how can we do both at the same time? And like, is this our chance to kind of just like get ours? Like, life is harder if you're gay or bisexual. So I kind of want money. You know what I mean? Like, right. I think these traditions are dumb when straight people do it, but I would like money. And my life is kind of hard. And I really get that. I really relate to it. Um, oh, boy. But yeah, like, the good news is, right? You're both very independent. You don't often ask for financial help, and you're prepared to pay for a wedding without financial help from either of your families, which right. is great news. Worst case scenario is you guys have a modest wedding that you paid for yourselves. Right. Like, great. okay, so they say no. Like, if you choose to ask and they say no, or you choose not to ask, you will be fine. You will, you are financially prepared. Right. Um, and, and, you know, I, reading between the lines of your letter, which I sometimes do, even though I maybe shouldn't, um, is this sort of, like, implicit thing of, We've rarely asked for financial help, kind of suggesting we've been saving it up for now. And now we get to cash that in. And like, I really get that. I often have this vision of myself as like, if I don't ask for help now, then the next time I can ask for double help. And that's <laughs> yeah, kind of not how life works. And I, I also get where you're coming from in the sense that they, you know, pay, the family paid for the older sister's reception. Um, they gave her a bunch of money. Um, there would at least be the question at the back of my mind of like, did they give that to the sister because she married a guy? Um, and because we are both women, uh, we're not getting something and that would suck. Um, Absolutely. But I mean, I also don't know if we know if the sister asked or if it was offered. And I, I am of the opinion that if you decide to ask, you can do so without invoking your fiance's sister. I think it's an ask that should stand on its own, i.e. we've been talking about our wedding and our wedding budget. And we were wondering if you'd be willing to contribute to costs. Yeah, I, I don't think setting it up as you contributed to sister's wedding, will you contribute to ours, is going to be necessarily helpful for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ask for yourselves, not because, hey, we've been, like, keeping track of how much money you spend on other people and it's our turn. Especially because it's not your family. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. it, it would already be kind of, like, iffy if it were your family. Given that this is not your family, like, don't. Do that. That's a great way to make sure that you and your in-laws never get along ever. Like, you don't know if their financial circumstances have changed since that last wedding. Um, you just, you know, there's there's enough variables there that either ask or don't, but don't ask on the strength of you gave someone else money one time. Will you give me money now? Right. Which just, I, I, I'm aware is not the most good faith reading of your argument. It's not somebody else. It's the sister for a wedding. But again, I think the important principle is... I just don't think it will help at all. I think it will only make things more awkward if they say no. Yeah. So especially given that your fiance is hesitant to do this because she doesn't want to talk to her parents about knowing they already gave her sister money, that does not have to be part of it. Like, absolutely say to your say to your fiance, like, you know what? You're right. I'm sorry. That's like, I don't want to like say like, hey, we know how much money you gave sister and we demand the same amount. Um, but say like, hey, it's your call. I, like, I just want you to know if you absolutely don't want to do this, like, we don't have to. Um, but, you know, if the worst thing that your parents say is no, I think that's okay. And, you know, I think if you wanted to say, like, hey, we totally understand if you guys don't want or can't contribute. But if there's anything that you would like to chip into the wedding, we'd really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And if not, we're going to be thrilled to see you there. That's a very reasonable thing to say to your parents. Absolutely. Like, it's it's not like um, asking parents for contributions to wedding costs is an unheard of thing. Totally. Yeah. They're not going to be like, what? Never in my life has anyone been so <laughs> insolent. Like, they'll it's, say yes or no. Right. Or, and, you know, maybe they'll think about it. Maybe 
you know, they won't be able to. But yeah, that's and and if they say no and part of you privately does resent them, um, just thinking like, but I know you gave such and such amount of money to the other sister, you know, then you will get to let that one go. You know, you still got to marry the woman you love. You're doing fine. Um, I I would say you you, you say that having a little help from either of our families would certainly help relieve some stress. Uh, Ask your family. You say that your fiancé's family makes more money, so I totally get that you want to focus on them. Um, But ask your family. If they can't afford it, they'll say no. You know, put it the same way. Just say, like, I love you guys. We're prepared to pay for this ourselves. If there's anything you can contribute, I'd sure appreciate it. And if not, be great to see you. Absolutely. Totally reasonable asks. Maybe you'll get some money. Maybe you'll get none. Either way, you're prepared. And I hope you have a beautiful wedding. I should always end the podcast with a question about a like same-sex wedding where the worst-case scenario is we can afford to pay for our wedding. Like I need to always end <laughs> on such a positive note. Worst possible case. I love it. Rather than other notes that I sometimes end the podcast Rather on. than fighting people? I don't want to fight any of those people. I think they're all, you know. I know. That's what I'm saying. Doing great. I think what, just weddings bring out the like bean counter in everybody. Do you know where it's just like. Oh, absolutely. I've been keeping in the back of my mind a record of everything that anyone else has ever gotten in their life. And now it's my turn. And I just want. I am in the wedding party of two weddings this year. And I am definitely seeing some of that. Yeah. Well, <sighs> Jess, thank you so much for the wonderful, poetic mom energy. <laughs> that you brought to the table today. Thank you so much, Mallory. I had a lovely time. You know, go in peace uh, to love and serve the cause of justice. (laughs) Thank you. And if anyone ever makes you a casserole and leaves you instructions on the fridge, what are you going to do? I'm going to put it in the oven. I'm going to press the button. You're goddamn right you are. Absolutely. goddamn right. All right, get out of here. Get out of here. Go home. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Dear Prudence, our producer is Max Jacobs. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash plus to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds, a minute, tops. Looking for more from Slate? The Double X Gab Fest is a bi-weekly podcast about feminism, gender, sexuality, health, politics, Beyonce, and other issues of interest to women and their friends. It's hosted by Invisibilia co-host Hannah Rosen, New York Magazine's Noreen Malone, and managing producer of Slate Podcasts, June Thomas. Every other Thursday, get a heaping helping of feminist discourse about news and culture in your podcast feed in the Double X Gab Fest. Download and subscribe to the Double X Gab Fest wherever you find podcasts.